This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. It seems that everybody these days has a side hustle, a means in which you can leverage your creative genius into an additional stream of revenue to help you make ends meet between paychecks. Whatever it is, there are a lot of options out there, but the question is, what's right for you and is it even worth it? That's what we'll be discussing today in episode 82, The Side Hustle. Special thanks to BQE Core, cloud-based software for time and expense tracking, billing, and accounting for their generous support of today's episode. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we are going to discuss side hustles in my day. I should say it's probably Andrew's day as well. <laughs> I was like, what day is that? <laughs> in my earlier iteration of Bob. Ah, gotcha. Side hustle was not what we called it. We called it moonlighting. And honestly, it was typically related to doing architectural work after your regular work hours. Or on the weekend. I mean, you just did what you did during the day, but for somebody else, like your auntie, you know, on the weekends. Yeah. They just got a paycheck for doing the same stuff from somebody else, maybe. Yeah. Or more stuff, maybe. But in this digital age, things have changed, and it's expanded to include many, many more things. So I've kind of broken this conversation. It's really, there's a secret middle part here that I'm not sure when it's going to rear its ugly head. I mean, I'll tell you what the middle part is, but I don't want to get into it yet. I think the first part's really about moonlighting. Your side hustle is doing what you already do before we get into taking your skill set and possibly doing something else that's Mm -hmm. not architecturally related. We'll save that to the end of today's conversation, but I think we should start about just doing what you do already, but doing it for an additional paycheck through some different avenue or you do commercial work during the day and you do residential projects or residential work. Yeah. All right. So I think moonlining is something that literally every architect has done at one time or another in their career. I did it. I know people that are my age that still do it, to be honest with you. (laughs) Interesting. But there are a handful of reasons why I think an architect, regardless of their age, but more specifically, they tend to be younger at this. Quite honestly, I think this is a young person's activity which is really what the secret middle part's about. It's talking about, well, why are people doing side hustles? Are they just, people love to work so much? No, I think that (laughs) they need money. I think it's a problem. You know, I think that kids are coming out of school with so much debt and they're not getting paid a commensurate amount to pay their bills and their student loans just when they come out of school and make $52,000 a year or something. I think that's part of the motivation between why you would do a side hustle or why you wouldn't, quite honestly. I would agree. I mean, that's the main reason that I was ever doing it when when I was that age, right, is because I was trying to make ends meet. I think maybe there are some other possibilities in that, and maybe we'll get to it. But yeah, I mean, I think the biggest part of it was that I needed more money to make ends meet. Yeah. And not continue to eat ramen for every meal. And I don't mean good ramen. I mean store-bought ramen in that comes in the little plastic wrapper. Yeah, dehydrated ramen. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't pay the bills in my house anymore. I haven't paid the bills in my house in a long time. That sounds very, you know, king in the White Castle of me to say. But my wife has a master's degree in math. I mean, why would I pay the bills? (laughs) 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. And we learned a couple lessons because I was very lucky. My parents, I don't want to give them credit they don't deserve, but they definitely deserve credit in allowing me to get through my undergraduate degree coming out of school with no debt. I give props to my parents for that. I will say it's a little bit different now than when I went to school. So I went to school from 1986 to 1992. Yes, do the math. I'm 53 years old as of this moment. And that's when I started school, 92. Yeah, kindergarten. <laughs> I know, you're not that much younger than me. I still remember going into the bursar's office my freshman year and paying my tuition, room, and board, and the entire check was $3,300. $3,300. And I went to UT down in Austin, a school that I think most people would be really happy to get into. Like, if you actually live in Texas, it's hard to get into UT now. Well, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that school's a lot more expensive now. Yeah. The fact I could make it through my entire collegiate education, six years, for less money than I pay for my daughter to get one year of 11th grade. Yeah. <laughs> the private school I pay for my daughter to go to costs more than my entire college education does. Mm. That's bonkers. And- I made $24,000 a year in 1992 when I graduated. $24,000 a year. And that's what I made in 1999 when yeah. I got out of school. Yeah. I was going to say, that was in 1892. 1992. It's terrible. It might have been 28, but I think it was $24,000. Yeah. So it didn't change much. And I was actually talking to a guy that I sit by, super cool guy. He owes, yeah, I didn't ask him if I could tell the world his financial business, but you know, he owes a lot of money. And just restate it and then I'll cut out his name. So you can say the amount and I'll cut his name out. <laughs> well, let's just say that his parents didn't pay for him to go to school, but this is really what he wanted to do. And he owes mid-range to upper five digits is what he owes. Mm -hmm. I'm really getting the order out of sync. I wasn't going to talk about this till later, but he moonlights. He was a bartender. Like he would work here during the day mm -hmm. and he would go work as a bartender in a proper restaurant three or four nights a week. Mm-hmm. And he also has other side hustles that he does. And it's all because he's got to pay down this monstrous student loan that he's got that is wildly disproportionate to the salary that he makes. You know, and he doesn't make a crap salary either. But my 24000 as a relative percentage to what I owed, which was zero, compared to what he makes to a percentage of what he owes is it's staggering. Yeah. Right? So moonlighting as a concept, I think, exists. For 99% of the people out there, for financial reasons. And what I want to get to now is, so let's just talk about moonlighting. Because I've written a lot of posts on it on the site. I have fairly strong opinions about it that aren't really positive. And I would say that I'm in a somewhat unique position to talk about moonlighting because but just me having the Life of Architect website gives me such visibility that I receive emails from people of all skill and experience levels regaling me with tales of both their positive and negative experiences with moonlighting. But in me taking all that in, to sum up, it would appear that the short-term gains are always amazing because you're getting a big fat check or a big wad of cash, but the long-term gains are rarely what that individual is hoping for. So yeah, I don't have a positive opinion about moonlighting. And yes, it was because I was burned. For all you people that are listening, who currently are having amazing moonlighting experiences doing work, I do feel the way I do because I got screwed. Oh, because you got burned while you were moonlighting? Yeah. Oh. Maybe if I hadn't had a bad experience relatively early into my moonlighting gig, I would have continued to do it. I'm certainly not lazy. It wasn't because 
I couldn't be bothered to work more hours. But I basically worked for free. I had some childhood friends that lived next door to me growing up. They have a restaurant. They came and they said, hey, will you help us out with this? And just look, we're going to do this nice new restaurant. I looked at it and it was garbage. It was terrible. Like they're trying to say, this is a prime steakhouse. And they had like two by four lay-in ceiling tiles on their ceiling. I was like, you can't do that. You can't compete with the steakhouses that are in Dallas with the two by four lay-in ceiling in your dining room. It's just not going to happen. So they kind of said, well, my God, what do we do? So I said, this is what I'll do. I won't charge you for any meetings. I will just charge you for the time I spent doing actual work. And I told them up front, I can't do construction drawings because I don't have the time for your schedule because I have a real job. So this is all nights and weekends stuff for me. So I charged them a very low number, $45 an hour at the time. And that would have been early 90s. And I worked... And I don't think I charged them more than $15,000 total for what it was. Passed off in a complete design development set of drawings, elevations, like I laid out the kitchen for them. I mean, everything, soup to nuts, designed light fixtures for them. And they paid for like a fraction of the actual time that I spent on it. Well, they hired another firm, a guy who held himself out as a proper architect to do the construction drawings. And he did such a bad job that they started the project and there were busts all over the place. He had run out of fee, and so they couldn't get him to fix all these errors and deficiencies in his work, which I never could understand why. Like, why can't you make him do what he should have done? I don't understand that. In my world, if I gave somebody a set of drawings and there's dimensional busts all over it, they're going to tell me to fix it. I would have to fix it. I don't understand it. Like, I could just say, I don't have any more money, so I'm not going to do it. I don't understand how that worked out. So anyway, so they came back to me, and they said, what should we do? Like, how can we solve this problem? I said, I'll come back and help you and I'll fix all this stuff. But since I know you're having financial problems, because the project sat empty for like eight months with just a foundation poured while they were trying to get all these problems solved and they're paying high percentage interest payments on this huge loan that they took out to build. Yeah. And these were friends of mine. This was a longtime family friends. And so I said, here's what I'll do. Because I like you, you like me. I will keep track of my time. But I won't invoice you until the project's done and you are open for business and you have a positive cash flow. That's because that's the kind of guy I am. Nice guy. <laughs> yeah. Nice guy. And then you never got paid? And then they never paid me. Yeah. Once they got it open. And I would send these invoices occasionally in the sun calling because you got to quit sending those emails to my dad, stressing them out. And I'm like, I don't know. Why don't you just pay me what you owe me? And the crazy thing, it wasn't even a huge amount. It added up to like... $12,000 for like a year's worth of work. I mean, site meetings, all of it. And I didn't charge them for, I mean, to this day, it works me up. Mm. God, just think about it. And so, yeah, I absolutely got burned. And I started taking on the opinion. And I get asked to help people out with little bathroom renovation projects and stuff like that all the time. And I decided that if somebody asked me to help them, what they get is they either get the buddy discount which means I'm not going to charge you to do any of it, but you're going to get what you get when I got time to give it to you. That's what you get. Mm -hmm. Or you're going to pay me full freight. And when you pay full freight, you have all the rights and demands of someone who's paying full freight. There's deadlines. There's deliverables. You can hold my feet to the fire if I don't do what I'm supposed to be doing. That's how I went on doing it. And I had no more problems. I've had no more moonlighting problems since that happened. And you know what? I could have used the money for sure, but it wasn't worth the headache. 
Did you have any bad moonlighting experiences? Mm, no. Really? Most of my moonlighting experiences are great. My experiences like that are actually with paying clients. Let me phrase, supposed to be paying. I might have a client now that I did some interior work for that I'm still trying to get paid, and it's even way less money than what you're talking about. And I mean, it was a restaurant kind of interior thing, and did it right before the pandemic hit. They got it done and then weren't able to open, and I understand that. But it's a not very large amount of money, and I'm still fighting to get that from them. But as far as moonlighting goes, no, because usually I did it for friends and family, and it was always, when I was doing it, it was always residential stuff, right? So I'm doing houses for people, and they were fine with it. I, I never really had any troubles, and I got a little extra money, and it all worked out. I never had any bad moonlighting experiences. Well, the big hitch to that is, you know, the problem is when you do the work and you don't get paid or you have to chase people down. Yeah. And if you're saying you did that one restaurant work and you're chasing them down to get paid, I'd say, well, sounds like, was that not a moonlighting job or was that a moonlighting job? No. Uh -uh. Well, which one? That's in the office. Oh, a real job. Yeah. Well, it's completely possible that people asking for your help, you know, with a little moonlighting work are looking for some help and simply can't afford to go the more traditional route by hiring a full services architecture firm. I know that that exists as a thing. Like, I can afford to pay you a decent hourly rate. I can't afford to pay you with your 4X multiplier for the receptionist and the 401k and the, you know, yeah, all that kind of stuff that goes on. Yeah, all the overhead. Yeah, but they do actually value the services that you provide. And as a moonlighter, you might offer all the possible advantages of that full service firm, but without the overhead. You can do the work, I guess is really what I'm trying to say. And your hourly rate would probably be, I know that I couldn't moonlight and charge my hourly rate that I charge in my office. Oh yeah, there's no way. People's heads would explode. Yeah. But those same clients that are looking for that non-traditional route to professional services, do those people realize that they're receiving a reduced amount of your abilities? Let's be honest. You can't work on a project. You can't work on their project during regular business hours. At least you shouldn't be because there's a whole myriad of issues that come up if you're moonlighting. Yeah, you shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. you can't do that. So you're not working on during regular business hours, the time during the day when you're supposed to be doing your real job. So you come home at night and you start working on job number two, this moonlighting job. And it's unlikely, it's possible, all things are possible, but it's unlikely that you're going to be in top form after already having put in a long day at job number one. And it's even more unlikely that the project will progress at the speed that it probably should because I'm at the office. I get here at seven. I leave sometime around six or six thirty. Not everybody puts in those kind of hours like in the office, but let's say you just work a regular eight to five. So you're at the office at your desk for a total of nine hours minus a lunch break. Mm -hmm. You're not going home and working job number two, nine hours a day. Mm -hmm. You're not, nobody's doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So the job's not going to move as fast as it probably should. And I suppose there are some trade-offs that the client would accept knowing that you're working at night and on weekends. But I can tell you that most clients seem to forget that you're moonlighting their job when push comes to shove. They still want what they want when they want it. And they've grown tired of you trying to live your life while they are impatiently waiting on their renovation drawings. If you say, hey, I want to go to Lake this weekend, they're like, what? You owe me all this stuff. That seems to be the story that I hear a lot. Hmm. To me, that whole scenario is just having to try to pick the right moonlighting clients to have. Your auntie? Just like everything else. No, no, I don't mean that. But 
I think there's a difference in someone that wants some services that you can provide at a cheaper rate versus someone who doesn't value your services and that's why they want them cheaper. I think there's a difference there in that type of client. I would agree, but how are you the willing yet unsuspecting moonlighter to know the difference between those two options when you start the project? Yeah, I don't know that you do. Well, I think I could probably tell the difference now, but as a younger person, yeah, I don't know that I'd ever been able to tell the difference. And that's part of what I get at is more times than not, people who are looking for moonlighting work, it's they want all the stuff that comes with a full services firm. They just don't want to pay the freight. They don't want to pay to bring it in the front door. So they're trying to find a way that they can get it on the cheap. Look, I'm not going to say that that's unreasonable for people to want more, but pay less for it. You can't pay less and get more. Like it doesn't work. So the premise, at least from that standpoint, is somewhat flawed. But I do know that there are people who have had very positive things happen to them as a result of the additional cash flow that comes in when they do these jobs. I think we all know that. Like I actually bought my first house. The same project that I was griping about, it gave me the money to put the down payment on my first house, which wasn't much. I bought my house for $96,000 and I put $10,000 down. <laughs> it wasn't a lot. It wasn't yeah. a lot of money. But I didn't have $10,000 cash. And when my salary before taxes was $24,000, it would have taken me years to save up even $10,000. Decades. <laughs> yeah. 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 It would have taken forever to do that. I hear you. So there's definitely some pros to doing it. And I would never say that people shouldn't do it despite the fact that they can earn a little extra pocket money. One of the things that I do think is true is that if you work from eight to five, right? So you put in your eight hours and you go home and then you put in another four or five hours in at night, moonlighting some work at a certain point in your career. And it's not that far downstream from when you get out of school. If you put that much work into your regular job, <laughs> you'll get promotions, you'll get raises, you will move your career along faster than you doing your regular eight to five and then moonlighting stuff. And it's more consistent and it's something you can count on and there's benefits that come along with you getting advanced within your proper job one career than what you could do by side hustling a project after hours. I completely believe that. But that's not to say somebody goes, well, I can buy that boat with doing this little weekend gig thing. Yeah. Right. I think it's a difficult thing because one of the other things I feel like sometimes people want to moonlight for is so that, that they can have a little bit more creative control or just be more creative in, in architecture. Because as a young person, they don't get to do that as often in a lot of instances. Yes. So they want to take some kind of side hustle so that they can flex their creative muscles a bit and... The money is a nice bonus or a necessary bonus to that whole structure, but it's also because they want to do more design work that they don't feel like they're getting to do in their office. You know, I can't disagree with that. I think you have a valid point. It seems to me that, and I don't have data to support this, just 29 years of floating in and around different jobs, is that most people, when they don't get the tasks that they want or they don't get the design responsibility they want, they don't solve that problem by moonlighting a second job. They just change the first job. Like that's how you solve that problem. You go, well, if my role here is not what I want, why would I stay in this job? Yeah. Maybe that's how you should probably go about solving that problem. I don't know that that's really the case. People don't necessarily see it that way, but I think that probably would be a valid solution to find a different job. But 
again, that's not always easy either, depending upon the job market. Well, there also comes the realization that maybe the job you want is not the job you're suited for. Yeah. And you might find that out by moonlighting. <laughs> that might come to light. <laughs> and I mean, as an unfortunate result. More from Life of an Architect in just a moment. Andrew and I are joined once again by Steve Burns, FAIA and Chief Creative Officer for BQE Software. Hey, Steve, how you doing? Hey, Bob, I'm great. Great to see you and Andrew. Thanks for coming on the show. It's good to see you as always. We're going to be talking about BQE flagship product, BQE Core, which is a comprehensive cloud-native business management platform that streamlines the billing and accounting process while improving operational efficiency. Named as one of the best business software solutions for invoicing and billing by PCMeg, Core is recognized for its intuitive features that simplify and automate operations for business owners and their teams, especially those in service-based businesses such as architecture. So Steve, I have a topic for us that I want to get into today, and it has to do with business intelligence and artificial intelligence are not buzzwords. They are real technologies that impact the architectural profession, as we're all aware. And if you don't embrace them and exploit them, we're going to get ourselves kind of crosswise on the wrong side of history here. So let's talk about artificial intelligence when it comes to BQE Core. You know, artificial intelligence is sometimes, at least in the past couple of years, been in the news mostly because of fear around it. You know, the machine's going to take over the world. <laughs> but I think if you were thinking seriously from a business standpoint, you should never be afraid of the AI because it's really in service to your profession that this technology is existing. It's not there to put an architect out of business. I'm not sure in, in any of our lifetimes, AI is going to get to the point where there won't need to be the professions that we all are trained to do, yeah. but it's going to make our jobs far, far easier. So what we do in AI, obviously, since we're a technology company, it's one of the more compelling areas to think about it. One is natural language processing and voice recognition, which we could talk about, but also in some more common things that people are really aware of, which is using the mobile platform to achieve things that really can't be done when you're just sitting at your desk at home or at the office and trying to get your work done. So what our AI is able to do on your mobile platform, and some of you probably have experienced this with some other apps, is to track your car mileage automatically. So it doesn't require you to think about it. The phone knows that you are moving at a speed that clearly represents you are in a moving vehicle and not walking or riding a bike. And it starts to recognize the geo code of where you started and where you ended. And AI will automatically match that up with a project's address or a client's address that has an active project and make the recommendation automatically that that 12-mile trip is to be related to a particular project. And once you mm -hmm. say yes, it will automatically know that it's billable or not billable and what the markup might be on your travel and what the rate is. So that's really AI helping make decisions for you. It also knows, as an example, that that phone was on a location for two hours and 23 minutes. And that that location happened to be your client's office or the project site, again, maybe you're out at a field visit and recommend once again, that the two and a half hours, let's round it up, is time that should be put on your time card as project related. Right. So that's all AI at work on the device. The other component, which I've 
I find really thrilling because one is I never thought of it as being useful. Like who's going to talk to their computer? You know, it's strange enough to be at home and say, hey, Alexa, or hey, Siri, or whatever it is, you know, what's the weather? That's pretty much good. Or play the song on our speaker system. We're pretty good. Right. But, but actually to say things like, who are my top three clients this year or this quarter or this month is a strange thing to do. But that's where we have evolved to today. So people are actually able to use right now Google Assistant, connecting the Google Assistant voice recognition to the core platform and ask it questions. And there's hundreds and hundreds of things you can ask the core application today and get insights that you can't get through general reporting. Who are the top three employees this week? Or what's the uh, profitability on a particular project? Things that you might want to ask, as opposed to having to run reports and then find the page that it's on and the road that it's on and get an answer. That was awesome. Special thanks to our sponsor, BQE Core Architect, cloud-based software for time and expense tracking, billing, and accounting. Visit bqe.com forward slash LOAA and receive 20% off a 12-month subscription to Core Architect. And thanks, Steve. I appreciate you coming on the show today to chat with us. Well, thank you, Bob and Andrew. Always enjoy your company. So let's do this again. Yeah, it's always great. Yeah, wonderful. Well, you know, there's lots of ways, and I don't know if we want to move on from moonlighting architecture work in addition to doing architecture work, but there's also a bunch of skill sets that architects have that, I don't know, they may lend themselves to different types of income generating side hustles. Yeah. And a lot of that started to exist because of the digital age in which we're now presented with. I mean, people can leverage their social media accounts into platforms that allow these alternative revenue streams. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I find a little funny, I'm going to apologize now in case I say her name incorrectly, but I met a young woman several years ago, I believe it was at Kansas State. Her name was Lindsay Leardy. I haven't talked to her in a long time. She was a very pleasant woman. She came up to me after I was on campus and I gave a presentation to the architecture school. We had a nice chat for a while and connected on social media and exchanged things from time to time. But after she graduated, and I'm not sure how long after she graduated this happened, but she got a side hustle working at Arc Daily back in 2017. Hmm. And she ended up writing for them. And one of the articles she wrote and the reason I know that she wrote this particular article is because I got tagged in it. I'm listed in this article. And it was a list of 15, 15 money-making side hustles for architects. And I thought, how am I on that list? And it was, it was funny. So she had this list in place. And it had references to practicing architects that were actively involved in several of the identified side hustles that were on her list. And I was in the category of writer which makes me cringe <laughs> because guess what? I don't make any money writing my blog. I don't know that people know that or not. I think I've said it a few times, but I don't get paid to write my blog. I pay to write my blog. Like it costs me money to write my blog. Yeah. But there was a few times like when the blog was really super popular. I mean, it's super popular now, but it was a much bigger deal back, say like 2013, 2014, or maybe I was a bigger deal back then. I don't know. But I got asked by a handful of people to contribute articles and create content for their website. And these were, there was a design website, design platform in London that asked me to contribute monthly article for them. And they were paying good money. 
And I was like, I could use some money. And this was in the beginning, the recession was still kind of tailing off. So it wasn't great. And I had some spare time. So I had to write like real articles. And I've said many times, I don't write real articles. I write like I talk, right? So the idea, like what you would write for Texas Architect Magazine, Mm -hmm. I could never write that kind of article. Mm -hmm. I'm not that kind of writer. That's what people wanted. And then they say, but we want your personality, but we want like a write a real article. And I go, the two don't exist. <laughs> Those aren't in the same realm. You guys understand. Yeah. yeah. You can't get me and a properly written article. Instead of prose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they were paying like a dollar a word. Mm. And I was like, I mean, you've read my blog posts. I crank out 1500 words when I'm talking about toilets. I mean, so I'm like, easy money. That's, I'm going to do it. <laughs> it was agony. I hated every minute of it. I dreaded. Every single time I was like, oh my God, I have to write an article on glass. And these people were nice. They were lovely people, but I hated it. But yeah, I'm on there as a writer, as part of the side hustle list. So there's links in her article to people like, oh, this guy's doing pottery and this person's doing leatherworks and you know all this kind of stuff. I clicked on those links. None of those people are doing those things anymore. <laughs> and this was an article from 2017. Now, that doesn't mean they're not still doing it, but say like the person who was on there for pottery, Mm -hmm. when you go to their website, like the last thing I found was from 2017, the person that was doing the leatherworks, they might still be doing it, but it linked to their Facebook page and their last post on Facebook was 2016, I think. So it suggests that these side hustles are transitory in their existence, like the role that they play when you're a younger person. I don't know if you just have energy or because your salary is at its lowest point that you have to seek out these alternative revenue streams. So they do, but then something in their life changes, which makes side hustles untenable. Like they stop, people stop doing side hustles at a certain point in their life. It would appear is the evidence that I've seen so far. What age is that? Because I guess we're not there yet. (laughs) Well, Okay, so we're saying that the podcast here is a side hustle? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's, elephant in the room, let's say it. Yes, the podcast is a side hustle. But the podcast is really an add-on platform to the website, which the website has never made a dime. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the early days, I told my wife it wouldn't cost the family money, so I took some banner ads, like for Big Bob storage or whatever, to pay server costs. And then finally I went, this is disgusting. I hate, I feel dirty. I feel cheap doing this. And so I didn't do it. So I went nine years without taking in a dime, no sponsored articles. I didn't make a dime for any article that I put on the website. Well, the podcast now, yeah, we occasionally have some ads and it helps cover costs and it helps cover our time to do this on Friday nights or whenever it is that we're doing and stay up till two in the morning like Andrew likes to do to edit the sound quality. Mm -hmm. So we do make some money from that. So, and we are old. It's dirt, apparently, compared to most people. With side hustles. Yeah, but I didn't start this as a side hustle. This is true. It just kind of turned into one. This is true. And so by definition, it's a side hustle, but I'm not motivated by the money. God, that sounds so ivory tower. (laughs) Yeah, well, it is a side hustle, but it came about, I would say, in a different way. And it wasn't that we were seeking or you were seeking avenues for income. You, You weren't at a point in your life where you needed the avenues for income. I think this would fall into one of those things. And in the blog, originally, it is about a creative outlet, a way to do something more creative or 
learn something that you didn't know how to do. It's just evolved over time, which I think there are side hustles that happen like that. Yeah. But I don't think they are the majority of side hustles that people have. I think it's more about making income or if it's one of those, something that you're just super passionate about and somehow you manage to find a way to monetize it, but it's not because you want the money as much as it is. You just want to keep. Yeah. You like doing it. Knitting characters and whatever. Whatever it is, it's a side hustle, right? Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Is it a side hustle if you don't care about the money? If the money is not the motivation, is it a side hustle or is it a side hustle by definition because you make money from it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it has to be a side hustle if you make money from it. Yeah. I don't know what else you would call it. It's still a secondary source of income, but yeah, I don't know. Well, okay. So let's circle back to the podcast a little bit. So. When I got approached to have a media sponsor about this, which Building Design and Construction is who we work with, and they've been fantastic, and they were enthusiastic and like, let's do this. They've been amazing. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. They have been amazing. Yeah. And when we first started the conversation, I was the biggest, well, I wasn't a big jerk, but I was like, I'm not motivated to make a dollar off this. So I have all these rules that have <laughs> to happen for this to move forward. And it was like, you can't tell me what to say. You can't tell me what my topics are. You can't tell me that I can do A, B, or C. They have no editorial control at all. They don't own anything. I mean, and they're like, we just want to be a partner, right? You do you and we'll do we. Yeah. And I was like, awesome. And I'm not so sure that a lot of people have that kind of editorial control. So A, that's why they're awesome. But B, it's because I don't do this because I need that secondary paycheck. It's nice. My wife would tell me that I need to keep doing it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay. So if we look at some other folks and we know that I'm not going to get into his business, but our buddy Eric Reinhold, he has a million alternative revenue streams and partially because that guy's just a machine, right? He's doing what he loves and he's found a way to monetize it. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that with him on the show. And I would imagine him being as clever as he is, some of the things that he's decided to take on while they are a passion interest, a passion pursuit for him, I'm sure that he weighs his energy and his efforts into things that provide revenue stream for him. I mean, he lives on an island in Maine, like in the middle of nowhere. He doesn't have a thousand million people that just need his services because of where he's chosen to live. And do you remember he told us, he goes, well, I do two projects a year and it's all these alternative revenue streams that allow me to only have to do two projects a year. Mm-hmm. That's the goal, I think, to the side hustle. The side hustle should be the device that allows you to make your first job be a, like a passion project. Maybe. 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 You yeah. don't think that would be the goal? I don't know. I guess. I guess it depends on your definition of side hustle versus like you're calling it an alternate income stream. Because to me, a lot of what he does is still, I don't know that it's side hustle as much as it's all wrapped up in his own business model for doing those things. I think it's all a balance of, because they're all architecture related still. That's a fair point. I mean, we talk about the side hustle, making the pottery or making the leather stuff. Those are different. I think it's just really complicated, not so straightforward. But we started with moonlighting. So the whole first part yes. of this conversation was you doing architecture after hours after you've done architecture. Yes. Right. So for him, like he makes videos about architecture mm-hmm. and you can buy 
templates of his drawing styles. Like if you're an AutoCAD and you want your drawings to be like his, you can mm-hmm. buy that stuff from him. And it's cool. And a lot of people do it. I know that he had stock plans for a while that he was selling. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he does that anymore. I don't think that he does. Yeah. But I still think even if it's a product of his creative process that he has monetized, I still think that if I said, what's your, you know, actually I was about to say, I bet he feels this way. And the truth is I bet he doesn't feel that way. I bet he sees them all as it's all one concept. All his job. Yeah. So that's a fair point. I would also argue that I don't know as a, I was about to say, I don't know as a sole practitioner, you can't actually side hustle because it's all just one hustle. But <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because if you work during the day and then take a job and work on it at night, it's still your job. It's still your job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So while he is an excellent example of having all these different income streams for the same business concept, it's hard for me to put him as a side hustle because they're all so intertwined. Or to me, the idea of a side hustle is I get up from job A and I go to job B. And whatever that job may be, it could be moonlighting, like as an architecture, or it could be bartending, as in, you know, the guy in your office. Okay, well, let me ask you this then. So, if he designs something and then makes it and then sells it, is that not side hustle? I don't know. That's got to be, like, it's woodworking. Yeah, yeah. Like, he has that little wooden X stand that he uses, and you can prop your iPad on it or put your pencil on it. If you buy one of those, it's Eric in his shop making it. Right? It's yeah. not like he's not- Which I do feel like that's more side hustle-ish, but yeah. yeah. And shooting videos and photography, that's a hobby. That's a passion pursuit for him, right? That's not architecture. Mm-hmm. That's So part of his creative process when he started was making these videos. He loved it. And it just turned out that so many other people loved them because they're so amazing that he's able to monetize mm-hmm. them and put links in it and say, this is cool. And people go, it is cool. And he's like, this is where you can get it. And they go, we want it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. That happens. Yeah. So that's just kind of a an output of something that he finds rewarding. But I don't think that him shooting videos of architecture is architecture. That is the side hustle is the shooting of it in the making of the video and the splicing and the yeah. him using his eye to create a wonderful video. Mm-hmm. So I go, that's not architecture. That's got to be side hustle. Yeah, I suppose. Because it's similar to like if I was doing graphic design as a side hustle. I'm still using a lot of my architectural skills and probably a lot of the same software and all that kind of stuff, but it's still a little bit different. So maybe that is side hustle Well, in that regard. Okay. So we have a guy in our office who paints watercolors and he sells them. We have another mm-hmm. young woman in our office who offers logo design and branding services on the side. Mm-hmm. If you have a business, you need a logo, she'll help you out. Mm-hmm. That's something that she does. And we have a division in our office that you can hire Boca Powell to provide that service to you. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that we heavily market. It's a service that we provide should somebody have need for it. And so she does that for folks. I mean, I bet probably low double digit percentage of people in the office have some alternative revenue stream in place or they want to do X and put it in place in my office. Are they all younger people? A hundred percent of them. Out of curiosity? Okay. Yeah. Of the ones I know, they're all low thirties and younger. I wonder if, I mean, it's part of that because you're still trying to find your joy, so to speak, or is it just that you just need more money? I don't know. You know? Well, the guy who does the watercolors, mm-hmm. for him, he loves it, but he's like, I can make money doing it. 
Yeah. Or he's like, I have this guy who has a pool business. I can do sketches and renderings of pools for him to help him sell it. And he tells me to make the renderings. I mean, he's leveraging his graphic skills into deliverable mm-hmm. for another one of his friends who's got a business. And that guy pays him to create the graphics. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people are working hard is the thing. They work hard. He gets in the office when he's supposed to. And he stays yeah. here till at least he's supposed to, or if not later. When he's supposed to, yeah. And if you ever need him to do something, like if I said, hey, I need you to finish X, Y, and Z by Wednesday, and it required him to work late or whatever, he would do it. Mm-hmm. He's that guy. But he has other gigs because he's like, I got student loans I got to cover. Mm-hmm. I don't want to live with my parents anymore. I would <laughs> like to get married to my sweetheart. I would like to go on a yeah. vacation. My financial obligations are disproportionate to what my job just readily provides to me. Yeah. And so he's not lazy. These people are not lazy. It's part of what it is. This is not, hey, how can I fall backwards into some easy money? They're leveraging their skill set and trying to find an opportunity to generate additional income. It's not all passion projects. It's not, hey, I really like doing X and it turns out that other people want it so I could sell it and I'm doing it anyway. So it's awesome. Right. It's not all that. They're looking for ways to take their skill set and turn it into a secondary revenue stream to supplement what they're getting as architects. Mm -hmm. That kind of breaks my heart a little bit when I look (laughs) at it in that way. I know. I wonder if the real question to me would be is if there wasn't, if everybody was in your situation and they didn't have student debt, would people still be seeking out side hustles? When we start talking about this, that's what I get really curious about. Is it because as you mature in your career, typically you make more money and so, and you have more responsibility and your life gets more hectic and all those kind of things. You really don't have a time for it. But is it just solely about the money? And if people didn't have student loan debt, would they try to side hustle or would they just be like, okay, I'm good? Or would they seek it out because they just want to do something else? I think it's the money. Hmm. Obviously, we're not talking absolutes here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know. But I would say the vast majority of them do it because they want some additional money. Because how many people out there, let's say that you really like quilting. Like you just love it. You have fun doing it. My wife, during the pandemic, she started getting into quilting. Hmm. She's now a quilting machine. And I go, what are we going to do with all these quilts? Yeah. <laughs> like we, have a lot of, we have a lot of quilts now. Hmm. And I was like, why wouldn't you sell them? She's like, oh, they're not good enough to sell. I go, yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. She's like, look, out of these Eight billion seams coming together. This one right here, it's off by like maybe an eighth of an inch. I was like, are you kidding me? I go, somebody wants a quilt. This one's pretty good. Right? So she's doing that. And I can tell you because I live in house with her. She doesn't need the money. Right? So she's not doing it because she wants to make money. But could she? Absolutely. She's doing it because she has fun with it. Mm -hmm. But she's also not 27 years old and still paying student loans. And I would say that. I think that's part of the reason why you don't see, generally speaking, we're going to have to do some polls or something on this. Yeah, we got to figure it out. I I know. It's a, you know, like at what age do people stop? At what age do architects stop moonlighting architecture? Right? And you start, if your side hustle just becomes an extension, like we have a couple guys up here that are architects who are amazing watercolors. Mm -hmm. Watercolorists, I guess that's the word for it. Yeah. Amazing. People would absolutely buy it, and I'm pretty sure they sell them. But they don't do it because they need the money. They do it because they love doing it, and it just so happens that they can sell it. And I bet part of the time it just supports their addiction to watercoloring. Making more water. They just spend it on 
buying more paper and more watercolors. Yes, yeah, better just, paint and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's all a cycle. Yeah, and so I think that at a certain point in your professional career, you reach an age where marriage and children and responsibilities and getting promoted at your proper job and trying to get your name on the door, those things, those are what start eating into like all your free time and you're not moonlighting garage apartments and renovations and master bedroom additions and new houses and stuff like that. Because the truth is, if you start doing that when you're in your 20s and you're still doing it 20 years later, I bet that's your job now. <laughs> like, why would that continue to be a moonlight gig? That'd be like, what? Yeah. Guess what? This is what I do now. Yeah. So I think that naturally tapers off. So anybody who has an ancillary skill or skill that an architect has intrinsically as a result of being an architect, when they've leveraged that into something, those are the things I think endure. Like, I was surprised to see that the leather guy and the ceramicist, that they still weren't doing it. I assume they did it because they loved it, not because it was a true money-making side hustle for them. Mm -hmm. There was one on the list, and it was like a calligrapher. Oh, yes. I've got the list pulled up right now, so I'm looking at it. Yeah, we'll put a link to it. Lindsay, you know, I don't think Arc Daily needs, you know, our love. <laughs> they need know, our but... feed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it links to an Etsy shop where she sells starter kits for like 155 bucks. And like, I think I looked and it's like 17,000 of them have been sold. Now, she's probably still doing this. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, because that's, she's like cash cow. I'm putting together, I'm third person sourcing all the stuff. I put it in a box, you know, with a little handwritten note. Yeah. I'm belittling what they do. I don't actually know, but yeah, she ain't making the calligraphy pen. She ain't making the paper. She's not making the ink. She's assembling the pack and then selling it. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you continue doing that if that threw an extra $500 your way a month? Or I designed a bunch of t-shirts years ago, years ago, and I did it for me. Like I wanted a shirt. I was like, wow, do you know there's websites out there where you can upload your own design and make one shirt? Mm -hmm. So you can make your own t-shirt. So I was doing that because I thought it's fun. And people were like, I would like one. So I said, all right, I'll make it available for people to buy. And I don't make much money from it, but I also put zero time into it at this point. They just sit out there. And the funny thing is the one that sells the most is this fish thing that I did. I'll put a link to it. It's like all these sad gray fish swimming one direction. There's like one goldfish going the other way that's got a big grin on its face. Like it was like UBU kind of thing. And that thing sells 10 things a month. And I was like, whatever. Right? It just... It's like about every day I make a dollar or two dollars from it. Yeah. It's clearly paid for itself for the 20 minutes I Time. spent putting on it. Yeah. <laughs> I actually was looking at those yesterday because I was, or they popped up because I was on Redbubble trying to find some architecture t-shirts to wear every once in a while. And it just typed in like architecture or something. Some of your shirts popped up. It was kind of funny. Yeah. And you know what? If I was really like, oh my God, I need that extra $3, I could upload all those t-shirt designs to 10 different t-shirt printing shops and they're all making revenue from every single one of them exposed to the one that I uploaded because that's what I ordered from mm -hmm. right because it was for me every t-shirt that you see I own <laughs> I have every one of them yeah that's funny you know and so we do have a couple of new podcast shirts up there I think at least one or two do we yeah we, the monkey one is there I think I saw it yeah and then I think there's one other one the monkey one, a couple stickers have gone, but no one's ever bought a monkey t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I know. I doubt it. No, who wants a shirt that says, eat my knife on it? They get some strange stares. Like, oh, you're a psychopath. Yeah. But I don't know. We got a comment today about, and they made a eat my knife reference to the monkey. So <laughs> it, it lives on. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if we need to wrap this up, 
you know, because we've been talking about it for a bit, but I'm really curious to know if there's an age bracket that you think side hustles and moonlighting exists. I totally think there is. I think probably from the time you get out of school to your mid thirties, that's kind of the window of when it happens. I don't know many people that moonlight past their early to late mid thirties. <laughs> early to late to mid thirties. Well, I was thinking like late <laughs> mid. <laughs> it's a very specific number. That uh, definitely thirty-seven late mid. Late mid is thirty-seven. Okay, for sure. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. The other thing that we didn't talk about, which I, mean, I think it's an easy conversation in a way, but the size of where you work, I think, also plays a large role in your ability to moonlight some. Let me guess, and I'm going to let you take back over. Mm-hmm. Small firms, less likely to moonlight. Large firms, far more likely to moonlight. Yeah, that was going to be my take on it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because it just, I feel like, and again, at the same time, maybe not, because the pay scale of those two places are also kind of inversely proportionate to the amount of need for moonlighting probably. I mean, typically you're going to make more money at a larger firm than a smaller firm. Maybe. But because of your, I think your increased level of responsibility at a small firm versus a larger firm in your youth makes that a difficult task. I'd agree with that. I don't know that I would necessarily agree that small firms don't pay as well as big firms. I tend to think that small firms pay better to younger people right out of the gate than bigger firms do, but you can't get as high as you could as a non-owner in a small firm as you could in a large firm. Hmm. Maybe so. I mean, I know that's how it was in my last office. We paid people well. You know, it's funny too. I went on a salary calculator and did our $24,000 with inflation. And it's funny for you making $24,000 in 92, it was like $47,000 was the current equivalent. And for me making $24,000 in 99, it's like 38,000. Yeah. I can't help but wonder how different this conversation would go if we actually had a 20-something involved with it, which I thought about doing. Maybe we should at some point, yeah. Well, the problem is is they can give their one perspective, and it would have to be very personal to them. And I thought, they don't want to come on here and do their, woe is me, I make no money, here's all my debt, here's how I'm trying to hustle it. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult spot. It's a very personal spot to put somebody in, so that's why I decided. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to pursue getting a guest. But since we didn't have that guest on, because we're conscientious and considerate people, I do think it's time to move on to this episode's Would You Rather question. Certainly. Let's do it. Again, I have not seen, because don't say I didn't read a run sheet. I didn't get a run sheet, so I have no idea what's coming. No, I didn't tell him what it was at all. And I had one question. I did my poll, and I said, what do you think? And people are like, yeah, it's not bad. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. And then I changed it. And then the first thing went, why did you change it? The other one was good. And I go, this one's better. Oh, we have a guy in the office. He likes to call it the monkey paw. I'm not even sure what that means. I'm going to have to look it up. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's the idea that it seems like there's an obvious answer, but there's really not. Yep. There's a trick to it. He loves Mm -hmm. it. This is one of the owners of the firm. He goes, oh, I love this one. Also, I should say, if you listened to the last episode, which was the motivation episode, everybody has come back at me with trees. Every single one of them. <laughs> and I'll say, all right, here's the argument for why Cave is better. And probably about 75% change their mind. It's just how That's our conversation went. such a lie. Went. Such a lie. No, it's 100% truth. Mm. All right, here we go. This week's Would You Rather. Yeah, let me have it. So, Andrew, would you rather be the very best in the world at one thing 
are completely average at every other thing. So here it is. You're just you, but you're the very best at one thing. You can choose what that thing is. You're the very best at that one thing. Mm-hmm. Or you're completely unremarkable and completely average at every single thing that exists. Okay. I mean, I've already think of a loophole and you're going to try to tell me it's not a loophole, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. So, okay. So my take on it is I would be the very best at one thing. And that one thing would be learning new things. That's fine. But you're, that's fine. That's not a loophole. Yeah, so then I could learn everything and be the best at learning new things. No, it doesn't say you're going to be good at the new things that you learn. You're still just you. Like, so it doesn't mean that, let's say we take Andrew Hawkins and you say, I want to be the world's greatest guitarist, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you're terrible at everything else and that you can't learn anything new. Okay. So you're still you. You still have the same capacity to learn whatever it is that you're going to learn. So if you're the world's best at learning new things... Doesn't mean you're the world's best at doing those things. You're just good at learning those things. Okay. So I'm going to say your loophole isn't that good a loophole. That's like Nick saying he's going to be the world's best chair maker. It's a terrible answer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then even without that being a loophole, I still think that would be my choice to be the best at something, whatever that might be. I don't think that's an unreasonable answer. I mean, because I think whatever that would be, especially since I'm in this episode of Side Hustle, I can leverage that skill into making money or being famous or whatever it may be. That's right. You're absolutely right about that. I mean, I feel like I'm already... <laughs> You're already pretty good. Well, right I feel like here. I'm already on the other end of the spectrum. I am already average at everything. Uh, so, you know? so let me break it down because this is really what it is. So if you're you, and this is, hey, listener, I could be talking about you. You're whoever you are normally, and you're already good at a lot of stuff and probably not good at a lot of stuff. But the things you're not good at, you probably aren't good at them because you don't care to do them. Like, I could be the world's greatest rock climber, but I wouldn't know because I have no interest in it, and therefore I've never done it. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I could have been the world's best left-handed pitcher in the Major League Baseball. Yeah. I never did it because I didn't care enough to be motivated to do that. Who knows? So there's things that I'm good at and there's things I'm not good at. But to be the very best, you could say, well, I want to be the very best at X and that can provide me financial freedom, right? Which in turn gives me just like regular freedom. Mm -hmm. Because if I say I'm the best at, I don't know, playing the piano, I go and I do a couple concerts and I make a lot of money and I don't have to work like all the time because it's a magical ability. So it's not like I got to (laughs) practice. This is true. If we're we're going into that realm, then yeah. Right. This is what it is. Yeah. Okay. But here's what's interesting about the other one being completely average at everything means I can do everything that exists as good as half the people on this planet. I can go speak Swahili. I can speak French. I can speak Italian. I can cook a meal. I can fix a car. Mm -hmm. Everything. There's nothing on the planet that I can't do with some modicum of ability because half the people on the planet can do it better, but I'm better than the other half. Mm -hmm. Everything. I suppose. But I'm also, I'm half as good at taking a shower as half the people on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm only half as good at brushing my teeth, (laughs) at dressing myself. Yeah. Half the people on the planet are better at brushing their teeth than you are. Yeah. Yeah. 
But still, you could do everything. I'm at the 50 percentile of rocket engineers. Right? Yeah, but I don't know if that really does you any good. 50% quality of brain surgeons. Maybe, yeah. I'm better than half the brain surgeons that are out there, and half are better than me. Brain surgery. I could do it all. Mm. The loophole really is there should be a rule that nobody can know that you're halfway, your median average good at everything on the planet, because then that in and of itself makes you remarkable. And part of the premise is that you're completely unremarkable in your ability to do everything. But you can do everything. Mm. Yeah, but you won't. Again, that goes back to it. that you Just because you can, you won't. Because there's no way you can do everything. So even if you had that ability, you wouldn't. Yeah, but whatever I wanted to do, yeah, I could do it. At a 50% rate, which even if you just talk about taking tests or passing your driver's <laughs> license exam or you know any of those things that's a 50 percent is not that great yeah 50 percent of brain surgery is awesome or if i had 50 percent accuracy at picking lottery numbers right yeah then that's going to be pretty good but just still i'm in the 50th percentile of formula one race car drivers <laughs> i mean yeah, how are you yeah. not the most interesting man on the planet every conversation i can have a conversation with anybody about any subject, in any language. I mean... But only 50% of it. No. So you're only 50%, like you're only 50% adequate at speaking Swahili or Russian yeah. or French. So that doesn't mean you're fluent. I don't need to be fluent. That means you only know a few words, 50% of the words. You know what? There are people that get by with far less. But I'm 50% That's as good as true. people who speak French. Yeah. Which means I can more than be have a conversation in it. Maybe, maybe. Right? So that's what makes this particularly interesting. Mm, not for me. Well, I will tell you this. So my choice is also, I'd rather just be me, you know, just Bob, but be the best in the world at one thing. That's what I would choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's what I would choose too. But there is something enticing though about the idea that you could do everything. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Renaissance man idea, as we talk about one inch deep, but a mile wide. But that idea of one inch deep and a million miles wide, I, that's not as appealing to me for some reason. I don't know. I don't know. I think you would have to be the number one party guest ever. Like <laughs> <laughs> but you won't be because you're only going to be an average party guest just by definition of that. The rule. No. <laughs> But I could go play the piano. Or guess what? I could play the guitar for you. It won't be great, but it'll be better than half the people that play guitar. Maybe, yeah. So there's definitely something appealing that you have the ability to be serviceable. Not great, not bad. Serviceable in everything that exists. That's amazing. <laughs> the idea of that sounds incredible. Okay. But like, I like who I am. I think I'm a pretty cool guy. If I could leverage that into being the best in the world at one thing, mm -hmm. then I go, to me, that equals freedom. Me being 50 percentile of everything on the planet doesn't equate to freedom to me. Yeah. I guess I, in my mind, I get frustrated with things that I'm barely serviceable at. <laughs> Those kinds of things frustrate me, right? I don't want to be that way. So if my entire existence was that way, I feel like it might make me angry. Like lovemaking? Okay, sure. Uh, you know, whatever. 
yeah, there's too much. I don't know. It's too wide open, maybe. Where I feel like it, just the idea of being excelling at one thing seems just so much more enticing. Well, the, here's this. What if there was a rule that said, because like I said, if you're in the 50th percentile of everything that exists, that in and of itself makes you remarkable. So you kind of have to put a rule in that says people can't know that you're capable of being 50 percentile of everything. They can't know that. Of course they couldn't know that. Well, it's like a party gig. I guarantee you if I snap my finger and I could speak every language and dialect on this planet at the 50th percentile, I'm thinking I would blow people's minds. Like that would be amazing. But I can't. Like I couldn't but, go on as like a in circus and say, look, here's a guy who can do everything at a mediocre level. Yeah. My comment on that whole, all the languages, I mean, unless you're at a party at the UN, I don't really know that that does you any good. You might get six or seven at a normal encounter might be the max. After that, you could say whatever you want. I could go into a party and say, I know how to speak all these things and just talk out gibberish because nobody's going to know whether I'm wrong or right. You don't think that you would put yourself in a position to take advantage of that skill set, though? <laughs> I'm sure I would, possibly, but... Like, you're in College Station, you're not going to get much credit for speaking more than about two languages in College Station. Eh, yeah, maybe three. Yeah, okay, three. But if you went to New York and you're like, all right, look, I got you covered. Whatever you need. Yeah, but even then, it's only probably like, what, eight or ten? Maybe? I don't know. You could probably go into a coffee shop and need to speak more than 10 languages in New York. Mm. Just go to the right one. Possibly. Possibly. But still. Look, I know that's an easy example. The language thing is an easy example. But I go, I could probably be in the 50 percentile of a lot of tasks and make way more money than I make despite the fact I'm above average as an architect. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yes, but I feel like I could make way, way more money being the best at whatever I chose, right? Yeah, but you'd have to choose something for that purpose, though. I mean, that's part of it, though. Not for the completely average at everything. Not for average Joe? Yeah, okay. They don't have to choose because they can do all of it. Do it all of it, yeah. Right? Fair enough. I think they would give you a freedom of mobility, maybe, because you could just go live wherever because... A, you could speak the language, and B, you could do whatever job you needed to do. <laughs> yeah. So I guess one of the questions might be, is there a cap? Like you can't get better at anything. You can't be more than 50 percentile at everything. Yeah. You can say, I can do 50 percentile of everything, but I speak French all day, every day. So I'm going to get better at that just because it's what I do. Yeah, but you can't. What if you can't get better? We're saying, <laughs> no, you're ma everything. You live there and you speak it all day, every day, and you still only at 50%. That's right. You're dead center of everything. <laughs> oh, that would, see, that would be the worst. That would be horrible. Yeah. Well, because again, if that is the rule, I could, I could never get better at anything. And that would be the most frustrating thing. I think it would force you to engage more areas so that you're not exposed yeah. as being just mediocre. Because they go, if this is all you do, well, you don't ever get any better. There's no promotions for you. You just do something different all the time. You got to step it up. Yeah. Dr. Hawkins. I know, right? It goes back to our last conversation about motivation. If there's no way for me to get better than 50%, what's my motivation? Yeah. All right. So we both settled in that we would prefer to remain ourselves, but be able to be the very best at one thing. Bank robbery. Jewelry heists. <laughs> <laughs> I think they all get all caught. Right. So I think that might not be Not if the you best were the one. best. Well, it doesn't mean that like- 
it's not infinite, right? You're just better than everyone else. Day trading. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Hedge fund manager. Lottery picking. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Nobody. Who are you better than? What other lucky you know person? Yeah, I know, right? But if you're the best at the world at it. I think that's game of chance. There is no best in the world at it. Are we making make-believe rules or not, man? <laughs> not that kind of man. I mean, there's still, like, gravity still exists. I mean, it's not completely. Okay. There are some people that have won the lottery, like, three or four times, or seven times, even, I think. So, for me to be the best in the world at it, I just said that's nine, eight or nine times. And if I pick the right times to do it. You're going to have to track down a link to the person who's won seven times. Okay. All right. I'll do it. If I can find it. Average guy wouldn't be able to find it. Well, he'd find it 50% more of the time. Yeah, the other one. Okay, all right, all right, all right. There you go. Another episode in the books. I hope you enjoyed the more serious part of today's conversation. Thank you for being with us today for episode 82, The Side Hustle. Special thanks to our sponsor, BQE Core Architect, cloud-based software for time and expense tracking, billing, and accounting. Visit bqe.com forward slash L-O-A-A today and receive 20% off a 12-month subscription to Core Architect. In addition, shout out to our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. If you like today's episode, please take the next 15 seconds and head on over to your favorite podcast listening app and hit that subscribe or follow button so you can get staggeringly awesome new episodes automatically downloaded every two weeks. And while you're there, please consider leaving us a comment. And I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a five-star I Need More Sleep rating. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this wondrous episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Stay cool out there. I'm sure it's hot. It is hot. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers.